Thank you, music team. That was fantastic, as always. We are continuing this morning in our series on 1 Corinthians, and um, we uh, are still on covenant. Last week, you'll remember, we talked about, uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we a chapter that Paul spends a lot of time talking about marriage. And so we had to understand the foundation stone that Paul was teaching from in terms of his counsel on how to deal with marriage. Whether you're single and want to be married, whether you're in a marriage and want out of a marriage, um, whether you're with somebody who doesn't want to be married, uh, you're in your second marriage. We looked at eight different things there in 1 Corinthians 7 uh, that Paul basically addressed in dealing with marriage. And we have to, to understand marriage, we had to understand covenant. And so we talked about the reality of the covenant relationships that covenant relationships are um, more than just, uh, they're more than a, a legal uh, relationship, and they're more than merely personal. They're more than personal because a covenant relationship has the backbone of the law, and uh, they're more than legal because a covenant relationship also has that sort of intimate, personal aspect to it. And so covenant relationships are both legal and personal, and they're made more because of that. And so we talked about all of that last week. The second part of covenant is uh, the fact that uh, not everybody is in a marriage covenant relationship, and that even though marriage covenant relationships reflect the covenant relationship that we have in God, it's not the only way in which covenant relationship is reflected. And uh, so... In the middle of chapter 7, Paul sort of addresses a few practical issues, which we're going to skip past for now. Uh, Paul talks about uh, circumcision and slavery and debt and your job and and how to remain uh, where you are. In order, we're going to skip over that to get to verses 25 to 40 to deal with the second half of the covenant relationship or the covenant topic, which is singleness. Last week we dealt with marriage, and this week we're going to deal with singleness and how singleness is reflected in the covenant as well. And so we need, as a church, to have a good theology of singleness. This is a kind of a difficult sermon to preach because it's one of those things that uh, people think, well, I'm married, I don't ever have to deal with this, and their sort of singleness is as far from their mind as they can possibly think. And then there's other people where singleness is the reality that they live in every day, and so this is really important to them. And so there's, this, there's two audiences out there, I know, and what I'm hoping is that I can bring the two audiences together to realize that singleness is important to us as a church. It's important to us as married couples, um, because singleness can come upon us suddenly, for one thing. Uh, we don't think of singleness as something that we... When, been married to Wendy for 20 years, almost 21 years, and, and so, you know, I don't think of singleness, and it's uh, just something that doesn't come up in my thought all that much of being single, um, but the reality is singleness can come upon any of us suddenly, whether by divorce or by being widowed, and at the other, and, and the other hand, it's important to us as married people too, because if we don't have the whole counsel of scripture, and we don't have a full picture of covenant, and we have, don't have a full understanding of God's blessing for the church, and his gift in singleness then what can happen is, is we start to presume that marriage is the normal state of things and that people who are single are somehow weird or that you know, marriage is something that you have to pursue and that you're not really fulfilled until your marriage and that you know, God is pictured in the covenant relationship of marriage and that marriage is what's intended for everybody and there's this sort of subtle pressure towards marriage 
which simply isn't true. If we were to understand or to get into our heads that, that, that merit or singleness is somehow a second-class state or it's, a, or it's a, a second-class sort of citizen in the church or in society, then we would be really, really wrong. And so that's why it's important to me that today we get a really strong understanding of a theology of singleness. That singleness is not a second-class situation. That being single is somehow uh, a lesser state than being married. Because the Bible would wholly disagree with that. The covenant in singleness taught from the whole council of Scripture is that it's a testimony to the sufficiency of Christ. And that marriage can actually be a dangerous idol. And its singleness in terms of covenant is a foreshadowing of eternity. That marriage is not ultimate. That marriage and being widowed and singleness and divorce and all these things that we are here, they all end in eternity. Marriage, nor singleness, nor being widowed, nor being divorced are ultimate. Because in in the kingdom of heaven to come, none of them continue. The covenant in singleness that we also need to see is that it's a uniquely gifted to serve the kingdom. Those that are single are uniquely gifted to serve the kingdom. And that both types of lifestyles, marriage and single, is needed. And that people who are single and committed to the kingdom and to work in the kingdom and to ministry are uniquely rewarded. We'll see all of these things as they relate to the covenant of singleness. And so there's this mindset about marriage and singleness that, that, that we need to overcome, that the Bible disagrees with, that, that singleness is somehow um, a lesser state and that we should pursue marriage at all costs. When we are uh, reading through chapter 7, if you read through there, even though Paul is dealing with the issue of marriage and talking about how it is good to be married, multiple times in the text, even the first part of the text that we read, he repeated that to be single is good, to remain single is good, and to be married is good. They are two goods that we have to reconcile. And that's what I hope to do today. Let's pray. Father God, we just give you thanks this morning that uh, we can look into your word. I would ask that you would um, just send your Holy Spirit among us and to do a real work in our hearts and minds to understand this, that we would have a proper, whole understanding of your covenant relationship with all of us, married and single, that we would have a whole and complete theology of singleness in this church, that everybody, married and single, would understand and celebrate the uniqueness of that relationship and the special gift and the special calling that you have placed upon some people to be single early in their life, later in their life, for a period in their life, or for their whole life. Father, help us understand this. In Jesus' name, amen. So looking into what God has to say about singleness, we know that God and Paul affirmed marriage, that it's the path for most people, but it's not a path that everybody takes, and it's not a situation that every, everybody stays in for life. And as I mentioned, singleness can come upon us suddenly, even upon the married. And God designed some people to be unmarried. There, there are some people that there is not part of God's plan that they would be married, and and may have to expect us, or, and, and God accept, expects us to accept the gift of remaining single. You know, And to others, when they're widowed or divorced, God gives that gift of singleness. And a lot of times we struggle with understanding it as a gift. 
We're sitting there thinking this is not a gift. Being single is lonely and being single is hard and, and it's difficult and I, it, it just, it's a distraction and all of these things. And so that's what we have to look into the text for to understand how God designed singleness. The most wise and good person who walked the earth was single, Jesus. And Paul, the apostle, was also not married. Now, Paul was probably a member of the Sanhedrin, and so most people would think that Paul at some point was married. But he's clearly single when he's writing here in 1 Corinthians. And he was blessed by his singleness. He, so most likely either he wasn't married, he was an anomaly among the Jewish Sanhedrin, or his wife died. But he says in 1 Corinthians that he wishes that men would stay as he is, namely single, and that it would be good for them to remain single for a lot of different reasons. And so to the people who it's been given to be single, it's a very special blessing. And the affirmation and the importance of singleness is clear in, the, in, in chapter 7, especially in verses 25 to 40, which we're going to look at. In 1 Corinthians 25, 7.25, Paul says, now concerning the betrothed, meaning those who are um, never been married yet, uh, literally virgins, considering the virgins, uh, I have no command from the Lord, but I give you my judgment as one who is by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. And so Paul is saying here, I can't quote Jesus on this. Jesus didn't deal with this topic explicitly. And so I can't quote Jesus on this, but I'm going to give you a trustworthy viewpoint because I'm an apostle and also because I'm single. So for you single people out there, this is not Paul talking as a married, pe- married person saying, oh yeah, don't worry, it's easy being single. He is single. He knows what it's like to be single. He can give you a trustworthy witness because of his apostleship and because he's single. He knows personally the nature and the gift of singleness. And it isn't some married guy trying to tell you how great single people have it. Although some married guys would tell you how great single people have it. I'm not one of them, just to make that clear. But as you go on in verses 25 to 40, Paul goes through five reasons why it's good to be single. And we're going to look at each of those five reasons and understand how they fit into those covenant implications of singleness that I mentioned. The reality that it's a looking forward to eternity, the reality that it's a devotion to God, that we understand Christ's sufficiency and singleness, and all those things about covenant which, stand, which are stood for and are represented in being single, and a lifetime of singleness or a season of singleness in your life. And so some of you have the gift of singleness and don't think of it as a gift. And so these are most relevant to you. Some of you are in the condition of singleness and convinced that you don't want that gift and you want a partner, but you have to understand that in the season that you're in, you have to cherish the benefits of these gifts and consider them. And so really what I'm aiming at is sort of a shift in the mindset of of feeling that marriage is somehow, or singleness is somehow deficient and that you must pursue marriage. There is the opportunity to consider that God may be calling you and giving you the gift of singleness for another purpose. And that marriage is not necessarily the ultimate Christian or even human relationship or even the ultimate relationship, clearly, that we can have. It's to put both marriage and singleness in a proper perspective. So there's five benefits that he goes through, and I'm not going to read the text ahead of time for the sake of time. I'm going to deal with the text as it comes to us in 1 Corinthians seven twenty-five through to 40. 
And the first benefit that we see in that text is that there is a greater freedom in violent times. 1 Corinthians 7.26, Paul says, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. And so the distress there is, is literally the word violence, okay? And it speaks to the difficulty that the church was under. This is only a few years away from the time when Nero is going to start his circus, okay? And Christians are going to be fed to lions, and they're going to be burned on poles as lanterns to light his pathways, and all kinds of horrible persecution is coming upon the church. And so Paul is just saying very practically, hey, if you're single, in the coming violence that is to come upon the church and in the current pressures that are on the church, it's actually pretty good that you're single. You don't want to go through these pressures if you don't have to, worrying about spouses and children and trying to bring your family through the oppression that is going to be upon the church in the times that are now and in the times that are to come. Paul understood that his enemies were always after him and that there was an oppression coming upon Christians just as he himself used to persecute the church. You remember Paul himself used to go around trying to throw people in jail and drag them before the courts and, and, and maybe even have them killed for their faith. And that oppression didn't stop just because Paul stopped. You know, there were other people in the Sanhedrin, other judges of the Jews and other zealots who were fighting against Christianity. And so there was a persecution on the church. And Paul just says very simply, the first benefit is because of the present distress, it's good to remain single. Thank the Lord that you're single at this time and don't have the additional concerns of a family to take through these times. And I don't spend a lot of time on this because this isn't really relevant to us so much in North America. We don't really get this. But the reality is we're an anomaly, not just in history, but in geographically. The majority of the church right now today lives in this situation. The majority of Christians fear persecution for their faith. So it's not just something that happened long ago. It happened all through history that the church is persecuted. And Paul says as a Christian, depending on the situation that you're in, it's maybe a blessing that you're single and to remain that way because of the present violence, because of the fact that globally the majority of the church is under opposition. And so Paul just deals with that very straightforward. The second thing is that the benefit or the gift of singleness is that you'll have fewer problems literally in the flesh. 1 Corinthians 7.28 says, But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. So, Paul says, if you've married, you've not sinned. Whether you're a widow, or whether you've never been married, or if you've been divorced, whatever your situation of singleness, if you, if you don't marry, it's not a sin not to remarry, but, but you're going to have, or if you do marry, it's not a sin not to marry, but you're going to have pressure in this life. You're going to have trouble, and the Greek word there is sark, literally trouble in the flesh, if you marry. Now, maybe Paul's a bit of a cynic here, he's certainly not a romantic, but he's basically saying... Here's the reality. Marriage is God's institution. It's a grace. It's a good thing. Paul has affirmed the goodness of marriage. But those who marry have trouble in the flesh. What sort of trouble? Well, you have to live together with another sinner. That's the trouble, right? I mean, you have this most intimate and sharing relationship in marriage, and you are at your most vulnerable to another person who sins just as much as you do. And there's trouble that otherwise wouldn't be there if you weren't married. I mean, I don't, mar- I don't argue with Bruce about the toothpaste cap, right? 
you know, or what temperature the house is set at. You know, I don't argue with Graham, you know, about the toilet seat and whether it's up and down. In our relationship, I don't have those troubles, right? But in a marriage, you have this added friction of two sinners who are living together. And Paul just says, look, you can be married, that's great, but understand you're going to have more trouble in the world. You're going to have more worldly troubles. You're going to have more troubles in the flesh. And then you take that marriage and you start having kids and you add two or three other little sinners into the household. And you, (laughs) right? And things, you know. So Paul, as a single guy now, you know, he's traveling around. He's got no kids. He's got no wife. And he's just giving some practical advice. And he's saying, hey, if you're single, it's good to stay single because you can marry But there are troubles in the flesh that come with being married, just very practically. It is a gift to single people. You might not see it that way, but it's a gift to single people that they have this approach to life that they don't have that added pressure in their their fleshly relationships. All sorts of extra trouble rises up or springs up in a marriage. Jealousy, dishonesty, deception, just thoughtlessness. You know, there's just things that grind on us in our flesh in a marriage. Not in my marriage. You know, I'm (laughs) speaking about other hypothetical marriages. (laughs) Watch how fast I backpedal. Um, But seriously, if you ask anyone, if you're single out there, you ask any, and you've never been married, you ask anybody, any married couple, if they've had any trouble in their marriage, and if they're honest, they'll say, yes, there's trouble in marriage. And so for single people, the idea here is not to look at marriage as some sort of romantic, fairy tale solution to your pressures. You can, as a single person, you can look at marriage and you can say, you know, if I just got married, it would, it would complete me. It would, it would, you know, fill my loneliness or it would, it would take away the pressure of, of maybe even struggling with lust. Or, but whatever troubles you have, whatever you're struggling with as a single person, marriage is no guarantee it will be taken away at all. You know, you can struggle with lust in a marriage as much as you struggle with lust outside of a marriage. You can be as lonely in a marriage as you are lonely outside of a marriage. I mean, that's the reality. That marriages, the marriage in itself is not the ultimate solution to your problem. That both single people and marriages find their completion and their ultimate satisfaction in God first. And if they're satisfied in God and satisfied in Christ, then they can find satisfaction in their marriage or satisfaction in being single. And so it would be a mistake as a single person going into this and and sort of buying into sort of the subtle church Christian culture that marriage is the ultimate good in your relationship and believe that marriage is going to fix your problems. It's not. Paul is saying there's trouble in the flesh in marriage and you need your satisfaction in Christ first because all you're doing is multiplying your troubles in marriage. So don't have a romantic view of marriage that it's going to fix the problems that you have. They don't go away. Married men and women don't have any less problems necessarily with lust than single people. And married men and women can be just as lonely even in a marriage as single people. And so don't look to marriage as an ultimate good. So not only is it good to be single because of the, the pressure of the time or the violence or the oppression that might come and just the extra worry of a family, it's not only good because it's not only a gift to be single because you don't have to deal with the extra pressures of the flesh and the extra jealousy and the, and the problems of living with another sinner in such an instant, intimate relationship. But thirdly, it's also a good, it's also a gift. Paul says that singleness is, is good because of the passing of the world. 
He says in verse 29 to 31 that marriage has no relationship to eternity. He says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Now, what does he mean here? Paul is saying marriage and events and things and money and all the stuff that we have, they're all passing away. This era, this time that we live in, is just a vapor. It's here for a short time and then it's gone, James says in chapter 4. And Paul says, enter into everything with an eye of eternity. Enter into your singleness and your marriages with an eye to eternity and understand setting your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. This is the first priority, the ultimate priority, as Colossians 3, 2. So Paul says, have an eye to eternity in your relationship with one another. And it doesn't mean that you're indifferent to your spouse when it says that the one who is married to behave as if he's not married. <laughs> wow, you could take, that's where you can't just take a verse out of context, can you? Uh, he's not saying that, you know, you're just to ignore your spouse or that you're, you're not to be, in, you're to be indifferent or behave that you're not married. It doesn't mean that because we know because Paul says that marriage is good and later on in Ephesians actually he praises marriage and all those things. But what Paul is saying here to the single people, to the unmarried, that marriage is not a great thing to grasp because it's a vapor like everything else. Marriage is not something to lay hold of because it's going to be gone in eternity anyway. All of these things are passing away. And he goes through a list of things that are passing away. Marriage is passing away. And, and buying and selling things is passing away, right? He says, what is it here? Um, uh, to live as though you don't have a spouse. And those who mourn as though they're not mourning. Weeping is passing away, right? Revelation says God's going to dry every tear. So don't mourn because even, even sadness is going to pass away. And he says those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. The joys of the world are passing away. It's going to be replaced with the joy of the kingdom of heaven. It's going to re- be replaced with an eternal joy of praising God and a full relationship with him. And those who buy as though they had no goods. You know, don't participate in the world with money because eventually we're going to have it all in the kingdom of heaven. We're not going to need money anymore. We're not going to need things anymore. So don't behave as if we need things, Paul says. Right? And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it for the present form of this world is passing away. Or to take things from the world. There's no reason to try to get things out of the world because it's all passing away. So Paul says here in this sort of little, you know, uh, section there, that paragraph, he's saying all these things are passing away and marriage is included. Marriage and divorce and singleness, it all comes to an end. They're not ultimate. None of it crosses over into the kingdom of heaven, right? As good as a marriage can be, it is only until death do us part. And then that's the end of it. And we go on to something greater than marriage. And as hard and painful as being widowed is, it's only until your death do you part. And then you move on to something far greater than whatever relationships we had here on earth. As painful as divorce is, divorce comes to an end too. As painful as singleness is, a lifetime of singleness is, or as hard as that is, it all passes away. It all blends into eternity and into the joy and into the fullness of relationship that's in God. And so Paul says, live with an eye to eternity. Live unto the world, unto the Lord. Not live unto the world, live unto the Lord. So he's saying whether we're married or whether we're divorced or whether we're widowed or single for part or all of our life, live for Christ, live for eternity. 
And so singleness is preferable to marriage when it's lived for the kingdom of God, right? That's essentially what Paul is saying here. He's saying a single life is a complete life. You know, you're, you can be single and be complete because you're not living for an ultimate goal in marriage. You're living for an ultimate goal in a relationship that goes on into eternity in the kingdom of heaven. And so Paul would advise here to don't set it as the aim of your life. Don't fix yourself upon marriage as you would fi- any more than you would fix yourself upon a job or fixate on money or fixate on anything else. Marriage can't be seen as anything other than temporary in light of eternity. And so you can see here, Paul is clearly not a romantic. You know, there's no Josh Groban ballad pain in the background, like a Disney film, you know, eternal love and all of that stuff, you know. And I just, I'm, I'm just sitting here, I can't help but preach and think what Wendy's thinking while I'm up here talking, right? He's like, oh, it's temporary, is it? This is just, you know, marriage is nothing, is it? Is that what you're saying? No, that's not what I'm saying, obviously, right? Marriages are important, and singleness is important, but Paul is just saying we have to have a complete theology of marriage and singleness. We have to have a complete theology of covenant. We have to understand all of these things in light of eternity and in light of the kingdom of God. And so that's what he's doing here in this text. He's saying, here's all the good reasons that singleness is valid. Here's all the reasons that singleness can be celebrated. So not only because of the violence, not only because of the trouble in the flesh that you can have, uh, not only because that eternity is going to take marriage and singleness and all these other problems away, but also the fourth reason uh, that, that singleness is a gift is that it's a freedom from the distraction of the married. 1 Corinthians 7, 32 and 33, he goes on to say, I want you, Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things and how to please his wife. That's the truth. And, <laughs> and he goes on, and, and, and he goes to the unmarried and the betrothed women as well. So he talks about men and women there. And so Paul is saying to the unmarried, he's saying to the single people, when you're married, you're distracted and you're divided. When you're unmarried, you have this special gift of undivided attention on the Lord and the ministry to, to, the, to the kingdom. In Luke 14, you remember when Jesus is giving an example of calling disciples and he's giving all the reasons why people are not coming to him as a disciple. And one of the guys says, I'm, I, I, I have married and I have a wife and therefore I cannot come. I, sorry, Jesus. Like, I know you're calling me, but I just got married and I, I got to do the honeymoon thing. You know, I can't follow you right now. You know, or I'd like to go to seminary or I'd like to go out on the mission field. I'd like to do all those things, but I've got a wife and I've got kids and you know, how do I fit that into my life right now when I have this, you know, single people, it's like, whatever, Lord, what do you want me to do? I can be on a plane anywhere you want me, anytime. It's a gift, Paul says. Paul says, I don't want you to be anxious about the things of the, of, of, of the world if you're single. If you have this gift of singleness, I want you to be anxious about the things of the Lord and what the Lord would do. I have a very good friend, Vince, and <clears throat> Vince is lifetime bachelor and uh he used to be a school teacher and then he started buying and selling houses he's flipping houses to buy a house fix it up sell it he's probably had about 40 houses in the last 15 years and uh but but vince at times in his life was desperately seeking to be married he he wanted marriage and yet it was clear and it was it was maybe it wasn't clear but it was it was um revealed or it was manifested in the reality that he was going to be single 
He's going to be single for a long time, and he may yet still get married. I don't know. But his life has been a single life wholly devoted to ministry. And Vince can move and live anywhere. He can give his money away. He's going down to Haiti to build some houses. And he's put the the amount of stuff that he would do. If you sat down and talked to him with half an hour, you'd be like, you can't believe the stuff that he's done to serve the Lord. And it's been such a gift to him, even though he may not even realize it, such a gift to him that he's been single. Just the amount of money he's been able to give away, the amount of freedom he's had from possessions, uh, the the ability to travel and to work, and he's just serving wholeheartedly the Lord. It's been an incredible calling for him. And being married is a mission too. It's a calling to raise a godly family. It's a calling to be in a marriage and in a covenant relationship and be a testimony of the relationship of Christ and the church. That's not, I'm not saying that's not also a, a calling and a mission as well. But it's, they're, they're two goods. You're choosing between a good and a good. And you have a gift that's a good gift here and a gift that's a good gift here. And so we have to have a complete theology of marriage, of covenant, that it's both marriage and singleness, and neither one of them is incomplete. And neither one of them is a lesser mission or a lesser calling. And Paul is just enumerating here. He's talked about the benefits of marriage, but he's enumerating here the benefits of being single. And he's saying, you're free from that anxiety. You're not worried about your kids being in school and making sure they get educated and making sure that they're brought up safely and, and, you know, having a house and a place for them to live. And like, you just, you're free from all these anxieties and you can just focus on the ministry of the, of the Lord and be anxious for the things of the Lord. And so I would say here, and I think Paul is saying here, it would be a healthy thing for many single people to stop fixating upon not being married and just live their life to the fullest for the Lord right now. Right? Don't waste the years of your singleness being all preoccupied with getting married. Use the gift of your singleness to live and serve fully for the Lord right now and put that energy and passion in pursuing the Lord that you put into pursuing a husband or a wife. And so Paul sums up his intent with a really key verse here. He says in 1 Corinthians 7.35, he says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And that's really what it boils down to. Paul is seeking, whether in marriage or in singleness, that people have an undivided devotion to the Lord. The church needs marriages that are devoted to the Lord, and the church needs single people that are devoted to the Lord. And he's saying, I'm not trying to trap you. I'm not trying to lay a snare on you. I'm not writing a law. I'm not saying you must remain single. And I'm not saying you must get married. He says, I'm not laying any restraint on you. I'm sharing with you a liberty of the Christian life. That you can have the gift of marriage or you can have the gift of singleness. You could be called to marriage or you could be called to singleness. And it would be wonderful. It would be a thing to celebrate if you were to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. That a single woman or a single man should be a thing that we celebrate in the church. And their ability to be single-minded of focus. Fifthly, it's good to be single because of the permanence of the union. 1 Corinthians 7.39.40 says, A wife is bound to her husband as long as she lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet, in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is probably true too and i think that i too have the spirit of god and so paul is just saying here that marriage is a permanent thing so as a single person when you go into marriage 
you have to think about this because this is permanent. You're bound to your partner for as long as he or you live. And so once you're bound, it's until death. That a single person has liberty, but that form of liberty ends at marriage until death. And we see that this is Paul reflecting the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 19. In Matthew 19, Jesus says to the disciples, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another commits adultery. And this is in the context of a a Jewish population and and an era when divorce was as easy as writing a certificate of divorce and handing it to your wife. And, And you could do that for any reason that she displeased you. Right? And so there's this discussion going on among the scholars with Jesus about whether a man should be able to divorce his wife this easily or not. And so just understand the context the disciples and Jesus are living in. Typically, marriages are relatively easy to get out of. And he's saying that except for adultery, then you're married for life. And the disciples are astounded by this. And they say, if, if, if you're telling me that I'm stuck with a wife even though I'm not happy with her, then if such is the case, it says of a man with his wife, then it's better not to marry. That's what the disciples say. Like, if I can't get out of this, <laughs> then maybe I just don't get into it. And Jesus doesn't disagree. He actually agrees with them. Yes. He says to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only to whom it is given. In other words, Jesus says, only some people can deal with the reality of not being married. The disciples figured out that if you're stuck there and you're unhappy, and if divorce is not as easy as just handing over some paperwork, then it's better not to marry. But Jesus says, you're right, but that's not something everyone can handle. Not everybody can handle being single. Only those to whom the gift is given will remain single and celibate for the kingdom of God. And he goes on to say in Matthew 19, and the word here is eunuchs, and you have to understand he's using eunuchs both literally and metaphorically. He says, for there are eunuchs who have been so from birth... And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And let the one who is able receive this. Okay, so what's going on here? So Paul is saying there are those who are single from birth genetically. They're born that way. And then there are those people who have been made eunuchs surgically by men for religious reasons. We won't go into that. And then there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs metaphorically for the kingdom of heaven. And some people are able to receive that gift. Some people have been given that gift and are able to receive that gift. And Jesus says, for those who are able to receive it, receive it. Because singleness for the purpose of the kingdom is an incredible gift and an incredible glory to God. So Paul is saying the same thing. If you you understand what Paul is saying here and think about what Jesus said... He's saying, if you can manage being single, if you have the gift of singleness, then it's a blessing for all these things that he talked about. It's a blessing to be free to pursue a life of the Lord. That marriage is a lifelong bond, Paul is saying, that you are committing yourself to life for marriage. And so if you have this gift of being free and single and celibate for the purpose of the kingdom of God, and you can receive that teaching of Jesus, then you should receive it. Think very seriously about receiving that teaching, because that singleness is a glory to God as much as marriage is. Don't automatically assume you must be married. It's not a second-class life. It's a special life. It's interesting. Looking this stuff up, I was looking, trying to figure out what Jesus was talking there about there, and I got to Isaiah 56. And if you even go back to Isaiah 56, eunuchs are talked about, people who are celibate and unable to procreate. 
In Isaiah 56, verses 4 to 5, this is what God says about these people. So when he says eunuchs here, just think single person. People who are set apart from marriage. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name, excuse me, that shall not be cut off. Like this is really, as you can tell, hits me. Because, because God is saying here, if you can set your life aside for me, if you can give up marriage, if you can give up that human covenant relationship, and if you can hold fast to your covenant with me, I'll give you a monument. I'll give you a name. I'll give you something better than sons and daughters. I'll give you something better than, than marriage. It's just incredibly personal and incredibly profound. The reality that singleness plays in the covenant relationship with God. Last week we talked about covenant. We talked about all the things that covenant means in marriage. But what God is saying here through his apostle Paul and what he's saying to us in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is that singleness is something that is unique and blessed and cherished. And so what do we have to do? We have to very quickly reject the false gospel of romanticism. You know, that sort of Jerry Maguire. Did anybody see that movie, Jerry Maguire? And there's that famous part where he's talking to Renee Zellweger and, and he she gives that whole explanation of who she is and how he loves her. And at the end, he says, you complete me. And Renee Zellweger looks at him and he, she says, you had me at hello. Do you remember that, Jerry Maguire? You complete me. You have to give that up. That's the world's gospel of romanticism. And so we have to give that up in the church as well. It's a false gospel that another person will complete you. Marriage and family are not the ultimate. We're not completed by another human being. We're completed by Jesus Christ and our relationship with God. A husband is not going to fulfill you. A wife is not going to fulfill you. The perfect family, the perfect home is not going to fulfill you. Not even the perfect ministry opportunity is going to fulfill you. Christ is all that's going to fulfill you. So we cannot idolize marriage. And we can't despise singleness. We have to seek to make our, either our marriage or our singleness or our widowhood or however we're in that, whatever state we're in, we have to seek to make whatever condition we're in a means to further the kingdom of God and enjoy him to the fullest. That's what we're called to do. There's something greater than being married or single, and it's to be united with Christ. And whether you're married or whether you're single, and if you don't have that relationship, then being married or being single is not going to matter anyway. So seek that first. Seek to know Jesus Christ and be fulfilled in him and be complete in him. And then you have the gift of being married or the gift of being married or the gift of being single, and you can live that out for the glory of God. What are the implications for us then as a church family? Because all of these things kind of ring hollow if we don't really put these truths in our heart as deeply as we put the truths about marriage. That's sort of where I started, right? 
we all sort of instinctively put the biblical truths about marriage really deep in our heart. And as Christians, we really understand the value of marriage and all that stuff. But my message today is that all these things, all this stuff about the gift of being single and blah, 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 blah. And I know the single people out there are saying, yeah, it's easy for you to say, Paul. But you don't know how lonely I am. You don't know how incomplete I feel. You don't, you know, it all rings hollow unless you take these truths about singleness and understand that God and Jesus and Paul and all the scriptures are teaching just as deep and just as profound truths about singleness as they do about marriage. Individually, we have to put that in our heart. And as a church, we have to put that in our heart. Our theology of marriage, our theology of covenant has to embrace singleness equally as we embrace marriage. And we can't put subtle pressure on single people, whether they're our children or anybody else, that somehow they have to choose marriage or they'll never be happy until they're married. That we have to stop and say, you know what? Maybe God's calling you to a life of singleness. And maybe, like in Isaiah, he has a, a name and a monument and an everlasting name for you because you're choosing him over a spouse. Let's pray. Father God, just give you thanks for your word. Thank you that your covenant includes all of us. Thank you that none of us are left out in the cold. None of us are orphaned. None of us are second-class citizens in your family, whether married or single. And Father, help us to remember that singleness is not just a problem of the young. Whether through divorce or being widowed, Singleness can come upon all of us suddenly, and God, you may call us to a season of singleness, and as a church, we have to recognize and support and embrace the single reality of of life lived for you as much as we do families. And God, we celebrate our families so much, maybe almost too much. Father, don't let us put family and marriage ahead of you as an idol. Or look for something in marriage that only you can provide. Only disaster results from making marriage an idol. And making marriage something that we pursue to complete us. Or family to complete us. When in reality only you can. Father help even us married people to learn from the truth about being single. About what our relationship with you should be. Father I would give you thanks for this. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.